Audie Nice D is moving in a new way forward, and we want to keep you in the loop. So during each episode of our podcast, we'll bring in new people. People like teachers, students, staff, even district leaders to talk about all the things happening in Alden ISD. Of course, before I introduce today's guest, I'd like to share my top three for the week. I'll tell you, these top three are getting harder and harder. It's difficult to narrow down the top three things you're thinking about that other people would be thinking about, too. Uh, The first one I'd like to talk about is La Promesa, which is our newcomer school. Uh, It's located inside of Aldine High School. And this year, um, this month, we had the opportunity to officially, air quote, cut the ribbon and really um, open the school officially to the public. You know, there are days when you don't really realize what you do. You know, you're going through the checklist, like, do we have ribbon? Check. Did we invite the guests? Check. Do we have, a, you know, talking points for the superintendent? Is the campus pretty? Check. But when you pause and really think about it, we are part of such an amazing opportunity to open a school dedicated to newcomers and really help shape the lives of the students who will attend that school. Um, You know, I remember when we were thinking about the name and we couldn't come up with anything and we were struggling, throwing stuff across the wall. And one day someone said, what about the promise? And it was like, well, duh. <laughs> That's it. And so here we are with a school called La Promesa, which means the promise. Of course, I'm not saying that right. I'm not a Spanish speaker, but I'm trying. But La Promesa, which means the promise in English, is um, really a true promise to those who, you know, have entered into America for the first time and also are pursuing um, education. And the school is designed to really wrap uh, its arms around the students as they transition into a new environment and really pour into them so that they can thrive both socially and academically. I'm so grateful to have even been part of the planning team, the leadership team, to watch this school come to fruition. And the ribbon cutting and uh, ceremony was, it was a tearjerker. Didn't help that Luke Luke pulled off a beautiful video, and it never hurts to hear uh, the principal, Fernanda, really talk about her passion for the program and the students that she serves. So if you haven't had a chance, find the video, look it up, look at the pictures, and really get to know what the promise means in Aldine. All right, point number two, the Choice School Festival is back on Saturday, November 6th. On Saturday, November 6th, families are invited to explore all of the different choice options available right here in Aldine. We're starting with our youngest learners all the way to high school students. There is a school in Aldine that is for you. We've decided or proclaimed that that we're going to have the best choice for our students in these 111 square miles of promise. Each school will have a booth so you can learn more about what makes their campus special. By the way, we have STEM schools, fine art schools, uh, two-way dual language schools and programs, a newcomer academy. I just talked about it a little bit. We have an all-girls program. This year, we're rolling out an all-boys school for our youngest uh, young men. We have schools that are focused on college readiness, programs that are dedicated to IB, and so much more. The Choice School Festival is where you can learn more about all the things that are happening in our district 
and the programs and schools that offer these interesting programs. Learn more about the event on our district website, aldingisd.org. We've reached the end of October. Now, before I go into what we celebrated this month, know that October is one of our busiest months. I think between October and either April or May, like so many observances, so many celebrations. But the one in October that I really hold near and dear is National Principals Month. Our schools and campuses have gone above and beyond to celebrate district leaders, specifically our Aldean ISD principals. All of them, every last one of them, have really, I can't even put it into words, they've gone above, beyond, below, beneath, beside, name it. They've done it to help ensure that our schools are open and ready for student learning. We are truly living in unprecedented times, and they're wearing so many hats. I mean, some of them are serving as COVID monitors. I've seen them, you know, transport students. They've been crossing guards. They're serving as subs. They're teaching new, you know, new curriculums. They're doing everything and anything to make sure that our schools are open and ready, like I said. So hats off to each of you, each one of those principals. Thank you for doing the great work to provide the choices and opportunities for all the ISD students now and in the future. I can't believe we're back. We haven't recorded in forever, but it's so good to be sitting behind the microphone. Welcome back to another episode of All the Things, the Aldean ISD podcast. Joining us today is, I'm going to mess it up, Alta, how do you say it, Grace? Alta Gracia. Alta Gracia, such a beautiful name. Alta Gracia Grace, as I call her, or most people do, Delgado. She's Executive Director of Multilingual Services. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So I have this bio I'm going to read about you. Usually people blush when I'm reading it. They can't see you when they're driving in their car okay. or listening while they're on the stairwell, stair mill, stair mill, stair step, treadmill. Man, I just combined like 20 words. <laughs> so Grace, usually when I read bios, people blush, right? Because they can't believe they've done all these things or that someone's saying it about them. But don't worry. The people at home listening in their car or on the Stairmaster treadmill or Peloton cannot see you. Okay. okay. This is you. Grace Delgado has been in, in the education field for 27 years. In those years, she has worked as a bilingual teacher, literacy coach, and school and central office administrator. She's an advocate for students in special populations and works in collaboration with multiple organizations to ensure appropriate services for children are in place. Grace is currently the Executive Director of Multilingual Services for Aldean ISD. Welcome again. So did you blush? I don't think I blushed. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, I want to know a little bit about, like, what does special populations mean? So special populations encompasses um, students that have special needs. So I work under multilingual, so a special need would be any linguistic supports that our students may need. Um, however, I have a child that has a disability, so I am a special education parent. So um, I'm a big advocate for special education as well. Mm -hmm. And it, it must be great to have you. Well, it is great. I know I, th I can think about Dr. Davis and having someone who can think out of two different lenses, like as a parent of a special needs student, you're thinking about that. And then as, um, you know, as you lead multilingual, you're thinking about those needs. Um, so would you consider yourself, 
you, were you a student that would have been in the, quote, special populations category? I definitely would have been because I myself, uh, I am an English learner. Um, and it's one of those things that some people categorize themselves as former English learners mm -hmm. when they have become English proficient. Mm -hmm. um, I like to say that I'm always going to be a language learner. Mm -hmm. um, I'm growing both languages at the same time, and right. I will continue to do that. Um, sometimes I forget words in both languages at the same time. Same. Um, <laughs> and I always speak one language. <laughs> but uh, yes, I'm, I was definitely in the special populations group as well. Okay. And so tell us about the special populations group in Alding. What does that look like? You know, for those that are listening and thinking, I wonder if my child or the students I teach are a part of a, quote, special population. What, is, what does that look like in, in Alding? So in Alden ISD, um, in addition to our English learners, or now we're changing the language, right? So they are really being emerging called bilingual. emerging bilinguals. Um, we also have like our special education uh, group of students, but we also have our advanced academics groups. That, oh, okay. that is also considered um, a special population because those are kids that um, have additional needs just because they are more advanced. Mm -hmm. Um, so we want to make sure that we're providing them supports as well to continue to grow them mm -hmm. um, academically. Uh, what we can say is that they're in every classroom. Um, every teacher has some kind of combination of students uh, that need additional supports in one way or another. Mm -hmm. So if um, I went to another school district that was north, south, east, or west of us, would their special population students, the, the label that they use, be the same as our students? Yes, they would use the same labels for their students. And, and the kids would also be in every classroom. Okay. Um, we just have to make sure that we're identifying them uh, as soon as we can for whatever, in, in whatever um, label we're going to use. And that we are monitoring their education to make sure that they are getting the supports they need be accelerating their instruction, be providing the scaffolds they need because they have a learning disability, or any linguistic supports they need um, as they grow in their languages. So when tell, let's go back to when you were a student, you know, when you were um, learning um, both languages, right? What was the language you were learning? I was learning English. Um, I was born and raised in Puerto Rico. So in Puerto Rico, both languages are official languages. English and Spanish are official languages. Well, let me add, let me go back. So did you did you learn were you did you do your like um elementary? Did you do that in Puerto Rico or in in Texas or in in the United States? I did all my education up to my bachelor's degree in Puerto Rico. Oh, okay. So in Puerto Rico, you had to learn both English and Spanish from the very beginning. Um so our education system, we provide the education in, in your primary language, which is Spanish. And we do have our English block, like what we would consider English language development here in Aldine. Mm -hmm. um, and I had that all throughout school from kindergarten all the way until graduated. And then in college, you are required to take courses in English and in Spanish as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so then you, sh you come to America and where'd you go first? What part of the United States? The first, so I married a military guy. Oh, okay. okay. So I've lived in multiple states. Uh, the first place I lived was Clarksville, Tennessee, mm -hmm. which is about 45 minutes away from Nashville. Okay. And so there you were speaking primarily English or primarily Spanish? Primarily English. Okay. Um, and that was an interesting experience because even though I grew up learning both languages, to be immersed in an English-only area and having to go through you know, receiving all input in English, translating in my head, translating back, mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm, outputting. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a very interesting experience. I was 21 at the time. 
um, and I say this story, um, I used to get headaches. I can imagine. Physical headaches. Um, and I didn't think any of it at the time. Um, I never thought about the cognitive load of the language until my sister moved to Texas a few years later and she started telling me about the headaches. And I was like, oh, yes, we're translating all the time in our oh. head. So that's part of that cognitive load. That just made me like a little bubble went off that I can imagine that, you know, a, f- a four-year-old who's learning pre-K, who's starting pre-K, who has primarily spoken Spanish at home or Vietnamese at home, and, you know, they're now in an English environment, they're trying to figure out, what are they saying to me? And wh- where am I? So our students could be experiencing headaches. Exactly. And that's why the importance of bilingual programs in Texas um, and why we want to create an environment in which we're developing uh, their first language while also slowly transitioning them into that second language and and growing both languages because um, it has been proven that languages are good for brain development. Right. Mm -hmm. But you don't want to immerse them in immediately without any supports. Mm. Tell me about supports, because supports can look like a lot of different things. So what does it look like in um, an emerging bilingual? What is it? What is the supports look like for an emerging bilingual student? So that's what we call um, sheltered practices. Mm-hmm. And that's when we try to make the language accessible to the students. So we use different strategies. So when we're learning a second language, we want to make sure that we're not constantly translating so the kids can have the experience of the language. So we can use visuals um, and have pictures with the vocabulary words, or we can use gestures and act out the words so the kids understand the meaning of the word. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it's about slowing our speech um, and articulating better Mm -hmm. the words so they understand the pronunciation of the words. Um, We talked about in the emerging bilingual world, we talk about, you know, giving the students sentence stems or sentence frames. And that's when you give them like partial sentences for them to like fill in the blanks. Um, And you try to change those throughout the year or the years that they spend in class. So do you change it like it gets a little more difficult as they, you know, kind of progress or? Yes, we try to change the structure of the sentence. Mm -hmm. So because we're teaching them structures of sentences, you start with very simple sentences Mm -hmm. and then change it up so that way they understand how the sentences work in English and and how to speak in complete sentences in that second language. So I have a list of questions I've not answered. I ask you a single one, but it's but I think we're getting what we need. <laughs> the team is like looking at me glaring, but I, I'm like so intrigued by this. It's, you know, it's opening a whole new world, right? I think people think about multilingual or, you know, emerging bilingual or ELs or they think about that kind of area of instruction and it, it's kind of over there, but it can't just be over there, especially in a place like Alden. You know, if I look at our um, demographics, about 73% of our students are Hispanic and about 34 to 35% are more than that. You're shaking your head. Tell me. We um, we hit 40% on Friday. Did we? <laughs> yes. We I'm writing it down. 40% emerging bilinguals. 40% emerging bilinguals. And, and are, you know... It's mostly Spanish or more. Yes. Mostly Spanish. Okay. And, you know, just like English, there's lots of versions of English, right? There's lots of versions of Spanish. So is there a primary um, type of Spanish or place where our um, emerging bilinguals are coming from? So, you know, even though we're in Texas and you would think, oh, you know, the majority of our students are, are from Mexico. No, we have high population of students from um, Honduras. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in El Salvador. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say the the gr- group from Mexico is like the third or fourth group. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think people make assumptions, right? Mm-hmm. All right, Grace, I, I'm going to ask an official question, okay? When does the native language, whether it's, like I said, Spanish, Vietnamese, Arab, Arabic, Mandarin, when does that, along with English, come together? Is there like a magic time that it comes together? You know, is it 90 days, you know, of, of you know, sheltered instruction or... Is it, you know, um, three years of immersion? You know, when do the two languages come together and someone becomes officially bilingual? So there's no magic date, but um, the research tells us that in order to um, develop a second language, um, students usually go anywhere between five and seven years um, of structured instruction. Uh, so that means structured instruction. Yes. So okay, that, so if we're keeping record, there's sheltered instruction. We wanted sheltered instruction, but we want to make sure that we are structuring and then there's that stru- exactly. structured instruction. <laughs> so we want to make sure that it's intentional, that oh, we're planning okay. for it, that that we are not just having a portion of the day in English and that's going to take care of it, and you magically are going to acquire. Mm-hmm. We're actually being intentional about teaching that second language, and and so students understand what they're learning. Okay, well, let me ask the opposite question. We're, we're really focusing on immersion bilinguals, someone who's learning English. The opposite, you know, is there is the sa- does the same kind of information or work still need to happen if you're learning another language? You're starting with English, but you're learning Spanish or you're learning Mandarin. Does that happen the same way? It happens the same way, yeah. The research has been done with, with languages, and the, the process should be five to seven years um, that's why we have this growth in programs in Texas, mm-hmm. um, the two-way dual language programs, where we have um, emerging bilinguals and non-emerging bilinguals in the classroom learning both languages. It's usually English and Spanish, although there are other districts that have other languages being taught as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the focus has been uh, primary and elementary, because if we do it... You start in those, there. Exactly. If we start there... By the time we move into middle schools, we should have a grasp mm. of both languages. However, what we're seeing also is the trend of more school districts in Texas continuing those dual language programs all the way to high school. Like through high school. Yes. So, of course, um, this is, you know, I get to be the host, but with me comes Alden. Like, I think the world knows about Alden, my son. And I'm thinking about, you know, he's turned two this year and I'm already, you know, imagining that one year he's going to be in school it's kind of sad, but one day he will start official official school, right? Maybe it's pre-K three next year. Maybe it's pre-K four. Not really positive, but, you know, considering and weighing all these options, what's the benefit of a dual language program for a student who doesn't speak another language? He, he only knows English. That's all we speak at our home. We don't have, you know, he's not exposed to anything. What's the benefit? We have heard that the research has told us that it's beneficial for the brain. What we have to remember is that we no longer live in a place without communicating to the world. Right. We have a global society and we have global markets. Um, Having more than one language is truly an asset. It Mm -hmm. lets you travel, but it lets you work with other people. Mm -hmm. Um, So your marketability grows. Um, To be honest with you, the research that has been done at graduate levels for two-way dual language programs mm-hmm. has proven that, sadly, people that get uh, most of the benefit from the programs are the non-emergent bilinguals. Here's the thing. For an emergent bilingual person, 
your bilingual programs and your dual language programs are always going to drive the growth of two languages mm. or it should grow. Mm -hmm. So we're always going to somehow have the benefits of the two languages. Um, so it is truly an asset for a non-emergent bilingual to have that extra language um, and it opens more, more opportunities for them. Okay. So we're growing our program. It falls under your leadership. Tell us a little bit about it. So the two-way dual language program, it's on its third year mm -hmm. in Aldin ISD. Uh, it was, it's interesting because it, it started right on the year where we had to shut down everything yeah. for the pandemic. So it's been um, it's been going through the growing pains mm -hmm. um, and having to adjust to all things with technology and hybrid situations mm -hmm. under the pandemic. Like um, most things, including us. Yes. <laughs> We're <laughs> <Exactly>. all adjusting. <laughs> We're all adjusting. Uh, but it has been extremely well received by our families. Um, and our kids are doing really well mm -hmm. in the program. So we, we are looking into, um, in the next few years, being able to start growing it into other campuses. Oh, good. Um, we are studying how it can be done and move into our secondary campuses. Right, because right now it's gone from primary to the first and second grade or just yes. first grade? Right now it's this year we started at the second grade. Oh, okay. So, um, but we're looking into into how to continue to grow because we know that, um, like we mentioned, by literacy, it's it's one of the goals that we have for our students. Mm -hmm. um, and by literacy goes beyond bilingualism. Bilingualism is usually your listening and speaking, but by literacy means you being able to read and write, mm -hmm. uh, which can again, give you great benefits mm -hmm. in life. Mm -hmm. And of course, you want students to be bicultural. Absolutely. Yeah. So if, if biliteracy is read and understand and write, what is bicultural? It's knowing about those other cultures mm -hmm. and, and embracing those other cultures, which, again, brings a curiosity to not only want to learn about other cultures, but also being uh, more respectful mm -hmm. and embracing that from others. You mentioned before how mm -hmm. we think, you know, the Spanish is only one. Um, that's We have to be careful with that single story. Right. Like, I'm from Puerto Rico. Um, so it's it's really good to be in those environments where we have people from multiple places and, and we learn from each other and right. we learn about each other's cultures mm -hmm. and, and we start to embrace, to embrace it. Yeah. Thank you for that. So um, I'm, a, I'm going back and forth between, you know, our dual two-way dual language program to our is it one-way dual language program i'm so good at this okay so back to our one-way dual language program has it changed or are you looking at has it morphed to go along with our our changes that are aligned to our strategic plan and tier one instruction has the one-way dual language program changed so the one-way dual language program we're launching it this year oh okay so this is a response of um Last year, taking a, like a deep dive into sure. our, our programming, uh, we studied the literacy task force and how that was done. And we decided to um, do a multilingual collective learning and um, really study the practices that we were doing in Aldine um, and really study the programs. What mm -hmm. were we doing for our students um, and how can we do better? We have for years had a, an early exit transition program in Aldine, which meant that we were rushing the kids oh. from Spanish into English. Uh, well, how do you know you're rushing them? Well, we were not, our programming was not really structured to really develop mm -hmm. uh, Spanish. 
mm-hmm. um, under language one. Mm-hmm. Um, in some cases, we were reclassifying students and exiting out of the program at the end of first grade. Oh, okay. So our kids were really not developing language one. Um, so, okay, let me make sure, because you're moving kind of fast and, you know, some of us were kind of slow. I'm one of those people. <laughs> okay, so uh, if, I, if I'm listening to you, a first grader is still learning whatever language they're learning. I mean, they're not... Um, they're not a master of Spanish, right? If they're a Spanish speaker, a native Spanish speaker, they're not a master of it. So to then put them in first grade and teach them another language, they weren't a master of the first one. Is your, Are you saying that's language one? And so, but at the end of language one, we're saying at the end of the first grade, at some point we were saying, okay, you can move on. But we technically don't even know if they mastered language one. Exactly. And the, the reality is language development acts the same way in whatever language. So if we need five to seven years to develop a language, you're absolutely right. We were not really, we were not proficient mm-hmm. at our language, mm-hmm. one. Uh, but we were doing, we were investing a, a lot of our time in teaching English. So mm-hmm. we were not strengthening that language, one. Um, in some cases, we were stripping the kids of their language, one. Oh, like taking uh, it away. We were taking it away. We were moving them into English. Uh, then they were proficient in English. Um then the repercussions of that is that we had kids that, because they truly didn't have a language one, as you know, in high school, our students have to take um, a, a second language. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we had kids that have been in our system forever that are emergent bilinguals that are taking basic Spanish oh. in high school. Uh, and they, not passing they or not can, doing well. And they're not being able to take their advanced classes that can actually move them into getting um, college-level credit oh. or even the seal of biliteracy during graduation because we were having to remediate their mm. language one because we took it away. So This is not good. No. But I'm sure that when we were doing it, we were thinking we were doing it. Yes. And, with, and the, with the best hopes in mind. Absolutely. And across the state, we've been able to see a lot more research in language acquisition. So we study that. In the collective learning, we study best practices. Um, how does language get acquired? What are the benefits of bilingual programs? What are the pros and cons? Then we really analyzed what we were doing in Aldine. We looked at our data. Our data in state assessments and our data for reclassification uh, was not great. Um, and we had a lot of parents that had actually started asking to keep their kids in the bilingual program. They right. did not want to get them reclassified. So we took all of these things into consideration, and that's when we decided to move um, into ch- transitioning our program out of early exit into a one-way dual language mm-hmm. program. Mm-hmm. So we're launching it this year in our primary campuses mm-hmm. uh, with pre-K and K. Mm-hmm. And that just means that we're giving a clear structure of the day in what is the content that we're teaching in Spanish um, with our high quality materials, with our schedules in place. And then what are we using for our English language development? Again, with a cr- clear structure of materials and a structure for the day and how to teach the students. We're investing in professional development. We're investing in resources to make sure that our teachers are trained. They have the resources that they need. And more importantly, that the students are ready to do these transitions. So sure. um, this transition will take us five years to to do completely, um, to move from the early exit into the one-way dual program, to have it 
from the primaries all the way into elementary, it'll take us five years. But worth it. Absolutely worth it. And I'm glad you mentioned families. Tell, do you have any stories about families or students um, that you've, you know, would like to share from Aldine that you've, that you've encountered during your work? Because I, I promised if there's a project happening in the district, your name is somewhere listed, whether it's the family and community engagement work, whether it's, you know, like you said, the multilingual collective, um, the COVID response, you know, even the equity work, like your name is listed somewhere. And so I'm, I'm sure you're interacting with stakeholders, but any stories about families that you want to share? I think, like I mentioned, the, the parents have been really involved in what we're doing, especially in two-way dual language. Um, these past couple of weeks, um, we have actually had the, um, the parent meeting at the primary campuses, and we've had um, families sharing their stories um, because they have new kids in the system because they have kids already in elementary mm -hmm. and how well the kids are doing. Um, but like you mentioned also, the family and community piece with multilingual, it's a piece that is close to my heart because it's one of those things that in addition to be a responsibility, it's a true gift to yeah. be able to work with our families. We know that if we strengthen our families, we strengthen all the services that we're providing students. Mm -hmm. um, so something we worked really hard last year was to uh, be able to do some collaboration with Lone Star in order to be able to provide some classes for our parents. Mm -hmm. To learn um, English to and learn GED, English. I think. Yes, the, the Lone Star is, is providing... Um, ESL classes for our parents, but the GED classes, which I think is fantastic, they have GED classes in English and in Spanish. Mm, mm -hmm. So we have parents that are now actually able to get their high school diplomas, which we know that it will trickle into some of them going into college, but getting better jobs. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then increasing that literacy that so they can support their students. Um, we're adding a piece this year. We're adding a piece of some um, specific workshops that are going to be provided to our parents that go from self-care to helping their students to financial literacy. Mm -hmm. All those things are important, right? It's not about, it goes back to the whole student. It's also the whole exactly. family. The whole family. Okay. Truly a gift. I, I like that word. It's, it's a gift to be able to give back to our parents. One of the things that I ha I like to to stress is that the collaborative work that has to happen at central office is key for all of these other pieces mm -hmm. to work. So I think part of the reason that we've been able to accelerate the work we're doing in multilingual is because of the collaboration in teaching and learning with all of our pieces, with special education, with advanced mm -hmm. academics, with early childhood, with um, teaching and learning, with curriculum and instruction. If we don't, if we're not able to work those pieces, um, which sometimes means we're gonna disagree, but we're gonna come together and we're gonna compromise and having the students at the center of the work we're doing, if it wasn't because of that, this work would have taken a lot longer to do. Yeah. So I'm extremely appreciative about the team that we have in Aldine. Um, the school's team is fabulous. We're able to to work with our SASs and collaborate in those pieces as well in order to support our campuses. That's great. I'm sure they're listening. I know specifically <laughs> one, I have a super fan, Dr. Fabiola Cantu. She listens to every single one. So this is her official shout out. <laughs> All right, here's my last question. Okay. Your favorite book, I know it's hard. Grace, don't look at me like that. Your favorite book, not, you know, you can't be like, I think someone else asked me, like, is it elementary book? Is it a learning book? Is it a, you know, sci scientific book? Your favorite book. So I have many. 
<laughs> but I have one that I, if anybody asks me for a book recommendation, I always go to Trevor Noah's Born a Crime. Oh. It is, which is rare because I rarely read nonfiction or memoirs, but the story of his life and growing up in South Africa and moving into the States and all of the things that politically happen in, in South Africa, um, the story of the way in which, which he grew up and his mother, um, for a guy that's still under 40, it's fascinating. Um, so that's my, my number one book recommendation to everybody. I've never read it. And if you can get the audiobook, Oh, even better. You hear his voice, and then you can actually hear pronunciation of the African words with all the accents. Ooh. It is, it is fantastic. Okay, I wrote it down. I'm looking at the team. Maybe they'll get it for me. Who knows? I'll need some things to do later. <laughs> I have plenty. I have plenty on my TBR list. Okay, plenty, Perfect. plenty, plenty. Well, it was so great for you to be here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for People, having me. Um, you know, we have some great folks in the district, and their stories are wonderful and amazing. And just hearing how you do your work in simplified terms, I think. Yes. You know, when you have to write it down and explain the sheltered and the structured and the multilingual, the one way, the two way, it gets complicated. But I think people can understand this way and really understand how it really supports the students that we serve. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you for so much for, so much for having me. Of course. Now you have to listen yes. and tell all your friends. Absolutely. Absolutely.